Hi. <laughs> Today I'll be reading Matthew 5, 17 through 26. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the... Not the smallest letter, not the smallest stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may thrown into prison. You may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Amen. Thank you, Hannah. Good morning. This is a time when our, our kids head out to children's church, so they'll head out the back that way. If you've got a, a three-year-old, uh, three-year-old through second grader, they're headed out that direction. Um, they always seem so excited to leave, and I don't know if that's because they're excited about where they're going or they don't have to stay, stay in here and listen to the sermon, but either way, they're excited and, and ready to go, so that's good. Uh, we also have a, a staff nursery in the other building over there and a, a cry room in the back. So if you need uh, either one of those uh, or any of those options this morning for your little ones, uh, those are, are open and available to you. Uh, it is good to see everyone here this morning. If you're visiting with us, we are glad that you're here. Uh, I want to make one more kind of note about those visitor cards that we have in the bulletins. Uh, part of what that does is, is allow us the opportunity to, to follow up with you in addition just to getting to know you better. Um, and we are planning to have some type of, of uh, new prospective member luncheon at some point, probably in March. Uh, and so that's another, if you fill one of those cards out, uh, that'll uh, give us some information that we can kind of let you know when that's going to be and, and dates for that uh, in case you've got questions about, about who we are or kind of what might be next steps if you're looking to, to get more uh, involved or, or plugged in to, to life at the Vine. I appreciate Hannah reading that scripture for us this morning. I, I told her this morning that I was, as I was putting together the slides, I realized uh, Hannah kind of got a long one, but she did great with it, and so I appreciate her reading that scripture for us this morning. And maybe you can, can relate to this. Maybe you at some point um, have said something to someone that was misinterpreted or taken out of context, and you kind of had to go back and say, hold on, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's, that's not really what I, I meant. Uh, I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to say is, is this. Uh, most of us who are, are married or have kids have probably said this at some point or one, at one point or another, Right? Like, no, I wasn't trying to say that you don't do anything around the house. Like, what I, what I meant was, you know, 
this, or, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to say, you know, whatever it is. Uh, and I feel like that's almost how Jesus kind of begins this, this section of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, he's, he's about to get into some, some pretty heavy teaching on the law, and he begins that with the, the way of, of setting it up in Matthew 5, if you want to turn with us, um, it's the, the scripture that, that Hannah read for us at the beginning there is kind of where we're going to be taking our, our thoughts from this morning. Um, he begins by saying, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So it's almost like Jesus is saying, all right, before we get into some other stuff, let me just clear something up right away. Uh, You can almost read it maybe as a disclaimer for what's coming next. Because as I said, he's going to hit some stuff on the law that's going to represent a a pretty different way of reading the law and interpreting the law and understanding the law than what a lot of the people that are listening to him are used to. And so this is, you can read this partly as as a way of Jesus saying, now now before we get into some of this stuff, I just want you to know, I didn't come to abolish any of this stuff. I came to fulfill it. Uh, he may also sort of be speaking to, to an idea that's already out there, that maybe there's already this, this idea uh, or this theory amongst people that this Jesus guy, he really doesn't care that much about the law, and he's coming in just trying to take out everything that we've ever known and done. Uh, you can see Jesus have these run-ins with some of the religious leaders, specifically the Pharisees, uh, on issues uh, specifically relating to, for instance, the Sabbath. That Jesus goes around and seemingly is just like looking for ways to break the Sabbath from the Pharisees' point of view, right? That he's just going around, he's working on the Sabbath, he's doing all this different stuff on the Sabbath. They continually are calling him out for it because from the Pharisees' perspective, he is just flagrantly disobeying the law of the Sabbath. But what Jesus is trying to show them is that they've, they've kind of missed the point on the Sabbath. Uh, he even says at one point, uh, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, like the, the, the Sabbath is for your benefit, but you've turned it into so much work <laughs> that it's not doing you any good. And you've missed the point of it to such an extent that you're mad at me for helping someone on the Sabbath. And, and, and if, if the way that you are observing the Sabbath means that you can't help anyone on the Sabbath, then you're not actually observing the Sabbath. Uh, so you've got to reframe your perspective and, and think about what is it that I'm really trying to accomplish by following the law and what is the point of the law? Because what Jesus is running into is he's running into a lot of people who are, who are following the letter of the law, but they've missed the spirit of the law. And to those people, he's saying, you've kind of missed the point. Uh, I kind of think of them as, as something like this guy. Uh, I don't know how well you can make this out. This is a guy on a bus or a subway or something who's got a book and a highlighter with literally every line of the book highlighted. Uh, So he's got the highlighter. (laughs) He's using the highlighter. He even knows how to use it. But then it's kind of like, you know, if you highlight every line of the book, you've kind of missed the point of the highlighter, right? Uh, Or this guy who, um, I mean, he's got the bike lock. If you're listening to this on the podcast, you're going to be a little lost for a couple of minutes. But he's, he's got the, the bike locked. He knows how to use the lock. He, he knows theoretically what its purpose is, but, but he's kind of missed the point. Says, 
as long as you can pick up that bike, like you can see, right, how this would cause issues. You can just, that's a pretty easy one to, to get away with. Uh, or my personal favorite for someone with a journalism background, uh, breaking news, Titanic sunk 102 years ago tonight. So it's like they, we, we've got the breaking news graphic. <laughs> we know it's supposed to be for news, but it's hard to really quantify anything that happened 102 years ago as, as breaking news. <laughs> this is like the epitome of what you call a snow, slow news night. Like we're just, all right, yeah, just throw that one up there about the Titanic and we'll go with that. Uh, so it's possible to, to have something, to use something, and completely miss the point of really what you should be doing with it. And it seems like that's what Jesus is speaking to uh, when it comes to the law. That he's saying, yeah, you, you can have the law, you can use it, you may even be following the letter of the law pretty well. But you can do all that and miss the point of what God intended, what God was calling you to as it related to the law. Uh, Jesus then is going to run up against this repeatedly in his ministry where, where he continually calls people, as, as we talked about at the beginning of this series, to, to kind of a reoriented way of looking at the world. And so over the course of, of the next chunk of this, this sermon even, he's going to say several times, you've heard it said this, but I tell you this. And what Jesus is doing in all of this is he's not, he's not pushing back against the law. He's pushing back against the ways that people have interpreted and used and misused the law. So he's saying, this is what you've heard from your religious leaders, from your teachers, from your tradition. But I'm telling you this. Uh, and repeatedly over the course of his ministry, this is going to cause people to, to have an issue with Jesus and, and, and his authority in some ways. Uh, d- depending on your perspective of how you're coming at Jesus, right? Like at the end of this sermon, Matthew even tells us uh, that the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. You see, teachers of the law simply passed down traditions and teachings they had gotten from those who had come before them. Uh, they wouldn't speak on their own authority. They would speak on the authority of, of voices who had come before them. But Jesus seems to be just coming in, just throwing out new interpretations without appealing to anyone else's authority. He's just saying, this is what I'm telling you. And so the Pharisees keep coming up to him and saying things like, look, you know, we've got to know by whose authority you're doing these things. Uh, who, who gives you the authority to do these things? Uh, and, and in whose name are you doing all this teaching? It's, a, it's something, again, that comes up repeatedly. And so they recognize there's something different about this guy and the way that he's teaching and what he's telling us to do with the law. And, and I think it's important then to remember uh, what it is that Jesus says are the most important aspects of the law. Uh, you may remember there's, um, there's, a, there's a time elsewhere in Jesus' ministry where a man comes to him and says, what is the most important commandment? Or what is the greatest commandment? What is the first commandment? And Jesus says, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, all the law and the prophets, that same phrase that we have here in this sermon, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. There were 613 laws in the Torah, in the, in the Jewish law. 
that's a lot of laws. And so what tended to happen then is, is you, kinda, you, you have to have a way of kind of prioritizing those. Uh, and, and you can find a lot of loopholes then to kind of get around some stuff because you can say, well, these laws aren't really that important, or I can keep this law by doing this. Uh, but it was a common thought in Jewish culture and especially among rabbis and religious leaders to kind of say, okay, so which ones are the most important? There's 613 of these things. Which ones do I really have to keep? <laughs> What's really going to be on the test, as a student might say, right? And so Jesus says, all the rest of the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Which to me means that these need to be the filter through which you engage everything else that God is trying to teach us and that God says. And they run through the filter of, does this display love of God and love of neighbor? Um, And so you can take all the laws at face value and just kind of say, I'm going to follow this one, this one, this one, this one. Or you can run them through this filter of, is this displaying love for God and love for neighbor? And so I think what Jesus then does in this sermon is he goes through some examples. He says, okay, for instance, he says, I didn't come to abolish the law but to fulfill it. Let me tell you what that looks like. Let's take murder. Let's start big, right? We're not going to start with the small stuff. Murder. (laughs) We can all agree that murder is bad. You shouldn't, you shouldn't murder people. That's a pretty easy one to find agreement on. And so abolishing the law would be Jesus coming in and saying, you know what, I know the law says murder is bad, but come on, some of you people, you know, you get it, right? <laughs> there are some people that wouldn't be that bad to just kind of, you know, get mad at and kill. That would be abolishing the law. But that's not what he says. He says, you've heard it say this. Uh, you have heard it said to people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Or, yeah, okay, good. I haven't murdered anyone today. I'm doing all right. Uh, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Oh, now we got a little closer to home, right? <laughs> uh, I thought I was doing pretty good with the whole law-abiding thing by not murdering anyone. But I get angry sometimes. Uh, so so what, are you, what are you trying to get at here? Jesus. Uh, And so you can be a pretty good law-abiding person by not murdering anyone. But the point Jesus is making is that if if you're not murdering anyone, but you're going around tearing everybody down with your words, if you're you're being rude and prideful and arrogant in the ways that you interact with others, uh, if you're just calling people fools, morons, as one of those words would basically be described in in, in our English kind of way of understanding it, like raka, if you're just calling people fools and morons and idiots, angry at everyone you see, like I think you've missed the point. Uh, if, you, if you filter this law of do not murder through the filter of loving God and loving others, it, doesn't, it, it, it isn't that this is a law saying I can treat people how I want as long as I don't murder them. It's about respecting the lives of others, honoring the lives of others, lifting up and encouraging others. It becomes about respecting life and loving others, not about, as long as I don't murder anyone today, I'm good. And what we find as people is that it's a lot easier to tear down than it is to build up. If you don't believe this, I would encourage you to play with Legos with a two-year-old. It's the best way to understand this concept, I'm convinced. Just sit down with a two-year-old, play Legos, and start building a tall tower. 
And that two-year-old inevitably will do what? Come knock it over. (laughs) It's easier to knock stuff down. It may be even more fun and gratifying in the moment, right? Sometimes the gratifying thing to do is just to get angry. Uh, It's easy. It's the fastest response to negative stimuli. Uh, It feels good in the moment. If I can just get angry about this, get good and angry, it seems kind of like what I should be doing in the moment. But it's a lot easier to tear down than it is to build up. And so you can take this, this command, do not murder, and you say, all right, as long as I don't murder anyone, I'm doing okay. Or you can say, how do I honor the lives of others? How do I respect others in the ways that I go about my day, my life? How can I bring light and goodness into my relationships? And so Jesus goes on to talk then a little bit about what that looks like. Uh, He does this then repeatedly in this sermon with other examples that we're going to come back to as we go through this this series. Uh, He he does it elsewhere in his uh, his teachings as well when he continually kind of hits this idea that that you've missed the point of the law if all you're doing is trying to parse out little pieces of the law. Uh, Because what he ends up saying is you you end up leaving out some stuff that you, you shouldn't leave out. So he says to the Pharisees at another point, He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important parts of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And then he says, You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Again, the idea isn't that Jesus came and just say, Okay, we're just going to throw out all this law stuff. Uh, what he's saying is you've got to have the right perspective in how you go about it. It's not that following these laws are bad. It's not that living under God's reign and authority are bad. It's that you've got to remember the perspective with which he calls you to do it. And for Jesus, all of that falls under these two commands of love God and love your neighbor. And everything then can be interpreted, filtered through those commands. Is the way that I'm living my life honoring that? Am I displaying in my life love for God and love for others? Um, I think this can sort of be a struggle for us as Christians in some ways. Uh, Because especially if you're familiar with Paul's writings, uh, Paul says things like, we've died to the law in Christ. And so as, as people who want to be people of grace, as people who want to be people who are not under law but are under grace, right, uh, th- th- this kind of sounds almost contradictory in a way. And we can dig into, if, if you want to dig into that some more in class or have some discussion about that, we've got two classes. Uh, Dave leads one that they do some, some uh, kind of a different study, but we've got one that in, in the fellowship hall that we go through just kind of open conversation uh, about the sermon. So if you're thinking about that question, kind of or wondering about, so where does grace and law fit in all this? We can examine that more and throw some of that around in class this morning. Uh, but I do think it's kind of a, it's a, it's a question that, that comes up for us, uh, or at least it does for me. Okay, so how do I reconcile Paul's writings and teachings about grace and about not being under the law anymore, about dying to the law in Christ, with what Jesus says here about, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And I think it all comes back to that idea, that idea of perspective and the filter that I'm using 
and ultimately that idea of righteousness. Uh, Again, one of the things that Jesus says here in this section, uh, he says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, um, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you're listening to that in this day and time, like we kind of have a negative perspective of the Pharisees sometimes because of how we read about them, but Jesus is pretty hard on them in Scripture. But, but Pharisees were the religious leaders. They were the upstanding people of the day. And Jesus says, your righteousness has to surpass even them. And so they may be thinking, well, how do I do that? <laughs> how am I more righteous than the most righteous people, right? And what Jesus is saying here isn't that, okay, like if, if the average Pharisee is keeping 400 of the 613 laws, you've got to keep 405, right? Like your righteousness has to surpass them. That's not what he's saying. Instead, what he's saying is you need a new way of understanding and viewing righteousness, It's not the degree to which you are keeping these laws making you righteous. It's the type of righteousness you are pursuing. Uh, And really, this is what Paul talks about when he's talking about the law and how we are not under law. Uh, Paul says about righteousness and this connection to the law and works. He says, The people of Israel who pursued the law as a way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not, he asks of himself. I like when Paul does that. He just asks questions that he knows people are going to ask. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. That's the problem. That's the issue. He says the issue with the law is when we begin to take it and say, I'm going to find my righteousness by keeping all of these commands. And this is what he writes about throughout his letters, is that that leads to a whole host of problems. Uh, Because for one thing, you're not going to be able to do it. You're not going to be able to keep all these laws perfectly. Uh, But also, you're you're just putting your hope of righteousness in the wrong place. Righteousness is not found in keeping all of these laws. Righteousness is found in Christ. Righteousness is found in giving your life over to Christ. And in doing so, Christ is the fulfillment of, of the law, giving yourself over to Christ and seeing things from his perspective and coming under his grace and mercy is the fulfillment of the law. It's what Jesus came to do. He came to show us the way to do this uh, and, and that we are called then to give our lives to him. And so Paul says later then in Romans, he says, whoever loves, whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. You hear how he's basically taking everything that Jesus has said and and boiling it down to this, right? All these commands that we could think of, any other command you want to throw throw out there, it can be boiled down to this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So we have Jesus who says, I have not come to abolish the law, but I have come to fulfill it. And what we see through his life, through his ministry, through his teachings, through his death, through his resurrection, is him fully living out 
this idea that the fulfillment of the law is to love. The fulfillment of the the law is to love and honor God in the way that you live and to love others by the way that you go about your life. That is the way that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He's the fulfillment of the law because he comes and does what no one else has been able to do in order to fully love God and love others in the way that he lives. And in doing that, he fully embodies the spirit of what the law was about. And so, he is the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets that have been leading up to this point. Everything in in Scripture, everything in the Jewish story and heritage has been leading to this moment, to this point in time when Jesus would come as, as the one who shows us what it looks like to fully embody the law of God, of loving God and loving others. Uh, He has come to be that for us, to be an example of that for us. And then also to give of himself on the cross in this this most extravagant example of love that he could give. And so then he says, our call is to go and to do the same. Uh, To be people who fully fulfill the law in our lives, as Paul says, by loving others. Part of the law and part of the prophets, uh, as, you, as you get into specifically the prophets part of the Old Testament, is that God begins to sort of unfurl this plan through his prophets that there will come a time when he will write his law on the hearts of people. That the law won't be kept on tablets, the law won't be handed down and all these different um, kind of uh, documents and different things that they have. God speaks through the prophet Jeremiah, there will come a time when I will write my law on the hearts of my people. Because you see, God recognized what we need as people isn't a bunch of lists that we can keep. What we need is a new heart. What we need is a redeemed and restored heart that frees itself of anger that leads to murder and replaces it with love of God and love of others. That frees itself of, of jealousy, of bitterness, and, and replaces that with the love of God that is seen in how we live. And so God says, there's, there's coming a time when I'm going to write my law on the hearts of my people. And then he says through the prophet Ezekiel, there, there's coming a time where I'm going to put my spirit into my people, that my spirit won't be this kind of temporary thing that, that comes and goes from the people and that will kind of show up and, and manifest itself here and there throughout the story. But there's coming a time where my spirit will indwell within my people um, and in doing so, I will be with them always. And Jesus is the fulfillment of these two prophecies. That he comes and he says, all right, now the time has come where I am going to impart my spirit onto you so that the spirit can be within you and so that the law can be written onto your heart. Jesus recognizes what we need is a new heart. What we need is a heart that is devoted to him. And when we have that, when we give ourselves over to Christ and are open to His Spirit within us, this is what allows us to live out these laws. I don't think what Jesus is saying is that, you know, Jesus isn't um, making the case for more legalism. Jesus isn't making the case, no, you haven't been, you know, kind of looking at this legalistically enough. It's not that I don't want you to murder anyone, don't get angry. What He's saying is, If all you're worried about is external, superficial keepings of the law that say, as long as I don't murder anyone, I'm good, you've got it wrong. 
What you need is a new heart that rids itself of anger through the Spirit of God and the law of God written on your heart. This is what he'll continue for the rest of this sermon. It's what he continues through his life and his ministry. And it's the example that he shows for us fully uh, and ultimately on the cross. In a situation where he could have fully responded in anger or defiance or violence, But instead, he submits to the will of the Father and says, not my will, but yours. And he prays for the forgiveness of the people doing it from the cross. Because for Jesus, the fulfillment of the law is to love God and love others. Each Sunday, then, we we come around the table and we remember Jesus. We remember his teachings. We remember his sacrifice. We remember his resurrection. And we do so through the sharing of of bread uh, and, and the cup the bread that represents uh, his body, the, the, the fruit of the vine, the juice that represents his blood given for us. And each Sunday when we do that, uh, we proclaim his death, we remember his resurrection, but we also remember that he has called us to a new way of seeing the world, to a renewed way of seeing the world. And he has called us to give our heart over to him. Uh, and through his spirit, We will be equipped and empowered and enabled to view the world around us the way that he calls us to and to act in love towards our neighbors. So may we be encouraged to do that this morning uh, as we share in communion. And as we did last week, um, we're going to go straight into our our prayer of confession this morning uh, and then share in communion as we recognize that there are times when we fall short of this. Uh, And certainly that is where we are grateful for the grace of God. And we are people of grace uh, because there are times uh, when when we fall short and when we don't live out the the law of Christ in the ways that he calls us to. Uh, It's why it's fitting for us to come every Sunday and pray a prayer of confession because there's something that each of us need to confess of in that way each and every Sunday. We get angry. We don't do the things that we should. The grace of God is there to pick us up and to keep us going so that we can be on this continual pursuit of God's heart and for his heart to become our heart through the help of his spirit. Uh, So let's stand, if you will, and we're going to pray our prayer of confession and then share in this communion meal together this morning. Father, we confess to each other and to you, our creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of Christ. We often seek out the easiest paths, paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom, which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of peace. May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be peacemakers here and now. 
Amen. You may be seated. 